And welcome to episode 84 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey, and with us from lovely La Jolla, California, is the certified show producer and brains behind the business, Aurora. Hello, and I am so excited to share today's interview with Lori Dennis, who is sharing about her upcoming book, Lime Madness. But before we get into today's episode, we want to let you know about our free Lime Ninja Brainwave Breathing Cheat Sheet. You all know the symptoms of Lime Brain, the problems accessing words, names, you forget things, easily confused and overwhelmed. There are some experts who believe that one reason behind brain fog is the dissynchronization between the left and right hemispheres of your brain. It's as if the brain is having problems talking to itself. I also notice in my Lyme patients that their blood oxygen levels are always a bit low. This led me to develop brainwave breathing. Brainwave breathing is a simple and powerful technique that can help clear brain fog. It's easy, anybody can do it, and you can do it anywhere, and it even works. Lyme Ninja Jilowiz B says... Brainwave breathing helps me to mentally relax. It has a meditative quality, too, and definitely helps me focus. There really is no negative aspect. I even did it while driving my car. It may have looked a little odd, but who cares? You know, a lot of times we are looking for really complicated cures for Lyme disease and the symptoms from Lyme disease. And sometimes simple things like sleep and breathing properly or using breathing technique just seems too good to be true. But really, it it can help. So go ahead. There's no downside to this. Give it a try. It's a simple technique. It can help uh, get oxygen into your tissues, including your brain, and can help your brain resynchronize. And believe it or not, that can help your brain function better. So if you want to get our free brainwave breathing cheat sheet and the video training that goes along with that, just pop one over to LimeNinjaRadio.com for the details. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com. Okay, Aurora, Tell us a little bit about today's Lime Ninja. She's a brand new author, and her name is Lori Dennis. Lori is the author of Lime Madness, uh, scheduled to be published in the fall of 2016. It's a memoir and a cautionary tale about chronic Lyme disease. The story is driven by her son's illness and their harrowing journey from a cascade of acute symptoms to the many missteps toward diagnosis to the various stages and shades of hard-won healing. Lori hopes her book will bring further validation to many sufferers, greater action within the medical community, and will wave a red flag to other mental health professionals who may not be aware that chronic Lyme disease is a critical differential diagnosis. Thanks, Rora. Lori is a therapist in the Toronto area, and really her son's diagnosis from Lyme disease and figuring out that it was Lyme disease in the first place was the impetus to write this book to really get the word out there and share the story and hope about Lyme disease. And here's our interview with Lori Dennis. 
I've been doing these interviews now for about, uh, well, it's almost two years now and mm. into the eighties and, um, the number of interviews I've done and the story, you know, it's, it's a script and it's all the same. Um, yeah, it's it really brutally is, yeah, unfortunate. Kind of, I know it's kind of crazy. It's true. And the more, the more, the deeper you get into it, the more stories you hear, the more you understand how many people are suffering and how few people out there are listening, which is really how I'm sort of, um, theming my book because really it's about not being heard. I think more than anything, I wrote this book, which is called Lyme Madness, um, fueled by my son's illness and our journey together to understand what was wrong, to get him diagnosed, to figure out how to help him which we're still doing, we're still on this course. And at the same time, you know, doing all the research that I was doing, it became a complete hyper-focus, which it has been for us, for both of us, for you know, as long as he's not been well, which is about three and a half years now. And, you know, the more people I met, the more encouraged and fueled I felt and, and compelled that I felt to write this book. Because, first of all, I didn't know what to do with all the research I had. It was just endless. And... You know, I call this a rabbit hole, as many people do, because the more you research, the more you learn, the less you know, the deeper you go. And it's really a crazy, crazy world. So I think for me, writing about it has been really healing. There's no question, because, you know, once you get into this world, you end up living in this parallel universe where you really can't talk to anybody in your world anymore because it's so difficult to understand. People are so you know, gobsmacked by the stories that you tell, they they actually they can't relate to it. It's like living in a parallel universe. And so you end up having to really spend a lot of time and wanting to spend a lot of time talking to those who get it. Mm-hmm. So that was a long, that was a long intro to, to why I wrote my book. I love it though. Okay. I'm, I'm, if nothing, I'm passionate about for sure. I mean, I, I, like I said, I have really lived this, Lime, chronic Lyme world for three and a half years now. You know, right at the beginning, um, I felt so, um, so driven because it was actually me who had to figure out what was wrong with him after 20 doctors wow. in New York City. Mm-hmm. And New York City, as you know, is, you know, not exactly the most unsophisticated medical community. They should be one of the more sophisticated, but after 20 specialists, and my son actually says it was 30, but I kind of counted 20. Um, not one of, well, actually, there was one doctor who thought of Lyme. It was on his radar, tested him negative, put it away. That was it. Mm-hmm. it you know, the whole, it was a, it was a, a fleeting thought. And it wasn't until he was really in crisis and we really, you know, exhausted everything that a few things happened to kick my intuition into full gear. And then I figured it out. But that became the beginning of the madness for me anyway, because how do you spend 18 months going to 20 or more specialists in New York City and not one of them, except that one doctor for a brief second, have it, none of them have it on their radar. And none of them use it as a differential diagnosis. And so, you know, again, our story is not unique. I've, I quickly found that out. And I know some people see 30, 40, 50 doctors and even more. And that some people are sick with this disease for decades before they even figure it out. But regardless of the amount of suffering, we're all, our stories are very similar in this regard. It's one of the most important parts of, of putting out these podcasts is getting the emails from people saying, thank you just for hearing a story similar to my own. Yeah. And just like you said, being heard. 
it's being heard. It's that's, part that's part it. of the existential angst is that yeah. nobody gets it. Exactly. And even I felt that way. I think we all do. So, you know, writing this book and going down this road and all the research and people that I've met along the way have certainly helped me to feel validated personally mm-hmm. because it can be really crazy making when the majority of the medical community negates this disease, when the majority of the population negates the um, insanity of this disease and the complexities of this disease, and nobody really understands it or it's not on most people's radar. So you feel like you just can't believe what you're reading. And then the more, yeah, the more people you talk to, the more you feel validated. And then hopefully you can do the same for others in turn. And that is pretty much what the premise of my book is. You know, I go, I take readers on this journey that we've been on for now almost, almost four years, really, um, in terms of what happened and then the research and all the people that we've met along the way and all, and basically trying to put together all of my reading and our reading and our understanding and channel it into something that kind of makes sense, even though everything is just a theory and nobody knows for sure. Yeah. And then in addition to the illness itself, I do, I do definitely outline and talk about in as much detail as possible without, you know, implicating myself, um, the political ugliness and the political machinations of this disease because the disease is not just the disease itself. It's the, it's the political underpinnings of it that make it so crazy. And they and they run deep. Yes. So let's feel free to bypass this question. But I, I, since you opened that door, I'm going to attempt to step through it. I'll knock on sure. it anyway. <laughs> and okay. so here's okay. here, here's the question. You're a medical professor. You're a psychotherapist. Yeah. No, I'm not a medical doctor, well, but I am a registered psychotherapist. Yes. Yeah, yes. You're so. But you're you're a medical professional. I mean, in yes. my in my mind, you're helping okay, people. Okay, in your mind, I, I think I think the college that I belong to might not call me a medical professional. Uh, but yes, but yes, I think if we're not looking at it technically, I didn't go to medical school, but right. I definitely have a degree in counseling psychology, and I've been doing this for many years. And yeah. I help people with their mental health issues. Yes. Yeah, I I didn't go to medical school, and I stick needles in people, and there you go. Yeah, you so go. Right. I can I have a broad so definition. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, heal- we're healers. Yes, that's for that's for sure. We are healers. Yes. And so, being a professional in the healing world, do you see this as? Do you see a conspiracy behind this, or just an unfortunate series of events, or a combination oh. of the two? Oh boy! How that's do you see question. this? <laughs> knock, knock, knock. I, 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 um, I, there is absolutely not a question in my mind, not a question in my mind that this is a four decades old. Um, I don't want to call it a conspiracy because that just always turns people off. Mm-hmm. But it's layers and layers and layers of falsehoods, misinformation, misdirection, purposeful um, sidestepping, and all kinds of actions and inactions that have brought us to this place where the medical community at large, globally, in 80 countries where Lyme exists, deny and negate the very existence of chronic Lyme disease. So I am not prepared to name names or point finger point fingers as many people do. I'm just, I don't have that much courage, but I definitely feel like I understand this. And I do try to outline it in my book as best I can by, you know, by providing theories that people have offered 
and letting people decide on their own what they want to follow up on and what they want to believe. But there just isn't even a question in my mind that the un- the underpinnings of this are political and they're driven by profit and greed and arrogance and ego and conflicts of interest and worse. And and it's it's really ugly. And that's why I just wrote a blog actually today on LinkedIn all about this. I called it the ugly politics of Lyme. And, you know, as much as the disease itself is, you know, parasitical, so is the so are the politics. And and you know, many people out there and I could name them but I won't, have actually pointed to the actual people who have been responsible for making this disease so um so underrecognized. And so undertreated, and um, it's it's something that you know none of us really want to believe, but it's happening every single day. And every single day, people are walking into their doctor's offices and they're being scoffed at, they're being made fun of, and they're being turned away. They're being told to go and see a psychiatrist as if that's going to be the the answer because they don't have answers, and because many of them will say they don't believe in chronic Lyme as if it's a religion or as if it's something you're choosing to believe in. There's a lot of science to back up you know, the absolute reality of this disease, and not just science, but hundreds of thousands of anecdotal experiences, and yet doctors will laugh at people as they walk into in the office and talk about their Lyme test or talk about this is a potential diagnosis. And, you know, it's just so, um, it's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking because you're already sick, you're already vulnerable, and then you have a medical professional who you expect to support you, and listen to you and try to be open-minded, open-hearted, curious, but instead you get the door slammed. And this happens to people every day all over the world. I've heard those stories myself. So oh, how yeah. how did you get out of the, let's just call it the current, the riptide of all this uninformation and misinformation? How did you swim to the side with your son and, and get to safety? How, how did you get there? It's a very good question. I, first of all, I am a, we are both speakers. So he and I work really well together and we're both huge researchers and speakers and we do not take no for an answer. So the minute I figured out that this was Lyme disease after 18 months of really terrible suffering on his part, um, I Googled Lyme doctors in New York City. And then I found that there was such a thing as a Lyme literate doctor. Who knew? I had no idea. And I found one, first person who came up on Google, and I called their office, and we were lucky enough to get a cancellation that week. And he then got tested by one of the three labs in the world that actually have more reliable testing methods, and it came back positive. And that was the beginning of our of his treatment journey. So we ended up in the hands of a Lyme literate doctor who understood this disease, which we were very grateful for. And, you know, since then, we've been on so many other roads and other paths because, you know, many doctors can only take you so far. And for him, this isn't true for everybody, but for him, antibiotics were helpful, absolutely, but only to a point. And then beyond that, there are so many other treatment protocols and modalities that need to be looked at. I mean, some people say they get better on years of long-term antibiotics, yep. but I don't believe that's true for everybody, and it wasn't true for him. I think when it, when he decided to go on IV antibiotics, it really caused him that, that setback. So we're now working, I mean, apart from the million other things he does, we are using a lot of um, frequency technology, mm-hmm. like, like RIFE, low-level laser 
mm-hmm. things like that. And, you know, the jury's still out. We'll see what happens. But feeling kind of hopeful, and I've read a lot of testimonials to this effect. And, you know, I do believe that these things will get at it from a much deeper, more cellular level than antibiotics can. I And I actually don't believe at this point. We don't know for sure, and nobody could really completely confirm this, although his doctors seem to agree. I don't think that he's still suffering from the bacteria. I think he's suffering from the aftermath of the bacteria, which, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily understand that Lyme is not just a bacterial infection. It is, that's just the beginning. Mm -hmm. What it does is it creates a complete uh, immune system downregulation so that when it kills your immune system, you've got a lot of work to do to get yourself recovered. And, you know, that's just not an easy road at all. And it obviously infects and affects every organ in your body, every system, every cell, every tissue, every muscle, every it's just it's pervasive and systemic and it's not always about the bacteria after a certain period of time. It's often about the damage that that bacteria has done, which creates things like a leaky gut and brain fog and all kinds of symptoms that are really tough to eradicate. Yeah. So well said. It's it's it's, it's complicated, <laughs> and and acupuncture absolutely is one of the modalities that he has tried. I mean, I don't think there's much that he hasn't tried at this point, and I think at some point you have to decide on two or three and stick with them for a period of time. Absolutely. But of course, there, there's always diet and lifestyle and all those yep. things that are non like non issue. You have to do those. Those are not those are not negotiable. Mm-hmm. But then there are other things that you can add to it, which he does and. You know, we, we have definitely tried so many things, and we're definitely speakers, and we don't stop, and we have, you know, a whole list of things we haven't even yet attempted if we should meet them, and I'm hoping we won't. But it's it's definitely exhausting. And, you know, as I say in my book, you know, I never asked to be a microbiologist or a... Or a um, you know, pathologist or a, or an internist or a rheumatologist or a, I just never asked to be these things. I would have gone to medical school if I'd wanted to. And yet we as Lyme sufferers and loved ones who are supporting them, we have to learn all of these disciplines to a point. And of course we don't learn them the way those who go to school learn about them, but we have to understand these things because it's a very complicated disease. And if our doctors don't have information and they don't, then we have no choice but to learn. And then doctors are incensed because their patients, you know, use Google. Well, if it weren't for Google, my son, and I'm sure hundreds of thousands of others, wouldn't have any idea what was wrong with them. So is that, is that, how did you, I want to go back one more because you answered my question beautifully. And then, but how did you get to the point where you thought to yourself, oh my God, this is Lyme disease and then look for a doctor? So, so, you know, I I think things seem like they come out of the blue, but they don't. So, Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was months and months and months of hyper-focus and worry and thinking and researching and Googling. And, and then one day, a friend of mine sent me an article on Lyme disease, and she sent it with a message that said, oh, this is great. This isn't Matthew. At least at least this isn't him. So I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, right. So I put it away and didn't really think much about it. And then what happened was, after all of these months of suffering, he ended up having this symptom that seemed so disconnected to everything else because the symptoms have been very neurological, um, mm-hmm. you know, brain fog, dizziness, migraines, all, you know, all, a million symptoms very much in his head mm-hmm. um, in the way that you understand, yep. <laughs> neurologically driven. And then all of a sudden he had a rash on his elbows one day and I thought, uh. what? And I thought, huh, this is migrating. This is systemic. This is something more than migraines or concussion. Or we had all kinds of theories and all kinds of misdiagnoses, of course, along yeah, the way. Yeah. And I don't know. Something just 
flipped. I, I a switch flipped in my head, and I I just thought Lyme. I'd seen Lyme once before, ten years prior, or maybe about five, six, seven years prior, with somebody I knew, and it looked very different than hers. So it didn't occur to me this was the same thing. It was a very different presentation. Right. And between those few incidents, and obviously thinking and worrying for months on end. Lyme came to mind. I looked it up. I Googled it. I read the symptoms. I knew it was it. I just knew. And that was the beginning of being able to find, figure this out and at least start to find treatments. I had no idea, as most people don't, which I, which is why I hope my book will be helpful because people starting this journey have no idea what's in front of them. I didn't know. I think if we knew it would be really devastating. We had no idea that it would take this long, that it would be this hard, that it would be this onerous. Um, but at the time, I thought, well, at least now we know what it is. What it is, you can get them better. Mm-hmm. It's, not quite, it's not quite that simple for most people. No, it's just not. It's just not. No, it's it isn't. So complicated because yes. it is systemic. Because it is something that affects you from yeah, from stem to stern, and your immune system is so highly compromised. So that's what happened, and I don't think I have stopped since, apart from my practice, which I'm busy at, you know, four or five days a week. This is my life. This is what I do. I, you know, I research and I read and I write and my manuscript is almost done. It's actually, it's actually in the hands of a defamation lawyer right now because I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I saw I, that I, note, I saw that I, note from I, I, you and I chuckled. Yeah, I wish I weren't kidding. I wish I weren't kidding. It's probably but a good I, idea. Oh yeah. Because I've already had a tremendous amount of harassment and bullying online and that's from people within the line community. So, when I get this book out, and it's not, you know, my book is not a journalistic expose. I am a mother who's so, writing about her experience, so let's, and I'm just a, you know, Canadian. Like, I'm really not a threat. Can we but, pause there? Can we pause there for a second and, and sure. just put on your hat as a professional? Why does why does that happen? Why does the oh, bullying the, the happen? Bullying yeah. Oh, I think because... Well, and if I told you the stories, it would really, it would blow your mind. You can't believe what happened. I stepped on landmines. I think there are a lot of landmines out there because there are a number of reasons. I think, first of all, there are so many people suffering and scared and threatened and feeling isolated and alone um, and probably even moving toward paranoia. So, you know, people can feel like threats. And I think that's partially why I think that it tells us the intensity of the Lyme world mm-hmm. that there is that kind of, and there's a ton of it that's going on up there, harassment and bullying. And I just happened to step on a couple of landmines and, you know, I had no idea. It shocked me as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so when, when this happened, I just pulled back a bit because I was ready to get my book out by April. And then I decided this was a good, a good lesson for me to slow down because I was going at bullet speed and I thought, no, 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 I've got to, I've got to really slow down because, you know, I need to protect myself too. I didn't write this book to make my life harder. Mm-hmm. I wrote it to make my life better and to help other people. Right. And, and it's a very serious subject and, you know, going up against a very powerful community. And, you know, I'm not prepared to name names. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to help anybody. Um, and I need to be careful. I need to protect myself as well. At the same time, I can't live with myself without talking about the politics of this because it's the politics of it is just as critical if not more than the disease itself if there weren't these politics we would have figured this out a long time ago (laughs) the first outbreak was in the early 70s and you know over in connecticut we're no further ahead no it's unbelievable actually and you know i got the most amazing message from 
Dr. Kenneth Leidner in New York. You might know him. He's a Lyme literate doctor. And he sent me a message on LinkedIn saying if it weren't for mothers over the last four decades, Lyme would be nowhere. Because that, at the yes. very beginning, there yes. was Polly Murray and Karen Forshner. Yep. You know, I can name so many people along the way and people currently who are mothers who are, who are just incensed and outraged as I am by what's happened here. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know how we're ever going to move this mountain. I don't. But I think that the more of us that are out there talking about it, the more likely we can somehow exactly. move this mountain. That's the hope, anyway. Well, the I started a support group in this area, and it we're really very loosely organized, and you know we're meeting once a month and not having big speakers or anything massive. But my my sole purpose for this is to diagnose over the backyard fence. Okay. And, you know, mm-hmm. just to just to have people out there with the the resources that they need to when they hear these stories that sound lime like is to yeah. say, you know, I should look into that. You know, it it's it could be lime. And then the, the of course says, well, we've been tested for lime. Well, did you know that the tests aren't always? And they go, no, I didn't know that. And then right. all of a sudden, you can open the door. And that's right. That's how it has to happen right now because that's the only channel of communication have like you said once you go through the rabbit hole you know, down the yeah. looking glass the Alice in Wonderland yeah. the world is right. never the same but never. if you're never we forget what it's like on the other side the complete ignorance and not ignorance like well uh, we forget how much we've learned over yes the course of oh my goodness years. and I'm sure I'm taking it for granted too so I agree with you because if I were just starting this journey now I wouldn't I'd want to listen to your show and read my book I'd want to because I wouldn't know any of this stuff and I, we forget, we take it for granted because four years of knowledge, you know, <laughs> yes. is a lot. It's yes. a lot. And there's a lot of stuff out there. The other thing that I want to caution people about is that it's really difficult to know what to believe. And mm. that's part of the problem is that you've got two factions going on. You've got, let's call it the medical powers that be that are creating this misinformation and misguidance. Right. And there's a lot of stuff out there that is untrue. And then there are the Lyme sufferers and supporters and medical doctors that are on side that have a very different story. So you've got to be very, very careful as to who you're listening to and what you're hearing. And it's hard to know what the truth is, for sure, except that we who are in it know the truth because we're watching it, experiencing it, witnessing it every single day. So that's enough. you know. And and there's a ton of so-called evidence-based, you know, research out there to make it very clear and to document the fact that this is all, this is all true. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes research is not always as accurate as we'd like it to be. <laughs> so it's, it's, oh yeah, I'm trying to be really, um, you know, politically correct here, but, but it's not always as accurate as we hoped that it would be. So right. everything, everything is turned upside down. I actually do use the Alice in Wonderland theme in my book, just small quotes, but I feel like it's so fitting because everything feels upside down, topsy turvy. You don't know what's up, what's down, what's sideways. You just don't know. Right. And it takes a, and that's why we need some really good, credible sources like your show to help people understand. And the other thing that I feel really strongly about, and I'm getting a lot of inquiries about this, is how to start communicating with therapists out there yes. about Lyme disease. Because, as you know, it is a differential diagnosis. You know, m- many, many Lyme sufferers first present with um, psychiatric. Things- Exactly. Absolutely. Anxiety, depression, yep. and, and they go down that Fatigue, road, yep. and 
and it's intractable. It's it's not treatable because it's not you know it's not about your childhood issues. It's about <laughs> you know right. right. And I'm and I'm making fun of myself when I say this is what I do every day for this is this is my practice. But right. and I'm not suggesting that doesn't hold a lot of credence. But in this case, we're talking about a bacterial bacterially driven neurological disease. That, yes. You know, and that therapists may not do not recognize. I mean, I've had conversations with very prominent psychiatrists in my city who don't know anything about Lyme disease. And I think, what? I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because no other, you know, medical professional knows about it. Why, right? why should they? Right. Yeah. But I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm incensed by that. And I, I want very much to try to educate whoever I can. And, you know, I'm thinking as of just yesterday, somebody suggested, and I thought it was a great idea to create some kind of group, um, some kind of network of therapists, whether it's, I guess, in North America to figure out who to refer people to and who has knowledge around this. Because, I mean, I have two two young people in my practice who have Lyme, and one happened to be in my practice before she actually got acutely ill, and I was able to recognize it within a day. Now, I exactly. couldn't count on her. I had to right. be very careful. Like you're saying, I had to kind of open the door ever so gently, ever so slightly, but I couldn't let it go because I saw it was happening in front of me, but I also couldn't push too hard. And in time, she got diagnosed, and it's been a really rough year for her, and she's been in my practice, and, you know, we're both very grateful for that, but I don't know what's happening out there for people who don't have therapists who know about this. Do you know Dr. Robert Bransfield? I do. I mean, I know of him, yes. He, yes. Now, he uh, he was a guest uh, a while back. He does have a group, um, and I think it's kind of leaning towards psychiatrists, but it's not not solely that. Um, that's a kind of private close for obvious reasons. But mm -hmm. he might be a great resource for you to help begin to navigate those waters. Because I do think we need Lyme literate therapists. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So I think that's a great idea. I think I will try to reach out to him. He's in the U.S., I guess, right? He's in the States. Yeah, he's in uh, northern New Jersey. He's he's absolute lovely, lovely man and very, very generous with his time. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I've referred to him in my book. I do remember yeah. <laughs> using something, some resource where he spoke about, um, you know, what happens to people with Lyme, with Lyme but, you know, psychiatrically speaking. So Yeah, I'm going to try and reach out to him. I think that's an excellent idea because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I just want to be part of this process. Yeah, I think exactly. it's really important. Exactly. Right. And one of the, I'll, I'll use our, our conversation. I, I think Lyme falls, first of all, science and medicine is so amazing for the past 150 years has just been incredible, really, since we started identifying infectious diseases and understanding what was going on with the microscope and then figuring mm -hmm. out antibiotics and, and vaccines and so forth. Well, actually, we had vaccines long before we had antibiotics mm -hmm. and, and figuring this all out. And we just assume we just assume that we can take care of it. And Lyme mm -hmm. is in this dark, hidden corner of medicine, and it's been so long. Well, there are other chronic diseases, actually, but... But we're it's not, you but know, it's not an accident. It's yeah, not an accident that, that it's in a dark hidden corner. It, it, that's not by chance. <laughs> well, I promise you, it's not by chance. <laughs> it is in a dark. I didn't know how we got there, but it, I'm not saying. Yeah. But, okay. But it is in this. It's, it's in this dark corner, and there, because of that, and because it's systemic, and and 
and it's not a simple, okay, we'll just get an antibiotic to kill it, that it has much more going on, that it's, Mm -hmm. we forget that we don't know everything. Right. Well, that's just it. I mean, I think that's why people are so incensed because it isn't even that we expect doctors to know everything. We expect them to be open-minded about it. That's <laughs> it. So, yes. you know, I don't think, I don't think that any of us are naive enough to think that they are godlike creatures and have all the answers to everything. That's just not possible. They're human beings and, you know, and, and they're limited in their abilities. However, it's more, it's the attitude. It's the, it's the closed door approach that is making people feel so alone and so isolated. Because because you're right, I don't think we definitely don't have answers. We would have more answers, I think, if the uh, the leaders in the medical community wanted to have answers. But that has not been the case, and so we're very stalled in our research and very stalled in our politics. I mean, in Canada, we're just having a conference in May. I guess just in a few weeks from now to um, talk about this bill that was passed well over a year ago, I think 17 months ago, that um, speaks to a legislative framework, federal framework for Lyme disease, a bill that was introduced four years ago, passed 17 months ago, and now we're just going to talk about it. So, so yeah. you know, it's a very, very slow process while people are suffering. And I don't know if you know this, but in Canada, you cannot find a Lyme doctor here. You have to go to the U.S. to get treated. So, I mean, I know of one. I got lucky enough to meet to meet on online one doctor in Canada who still has his practice, who hasn't been um, has his license stripped, who hasn't been annihilated by the college, who still mm-hmm. treats Lyme. But for the most part, across this country, you cannot find a Lyme literate doctor unless they're a naturopathic doctor. Right. Who and then only in Vancouver or only in BC are they licensed to prescribe antibiotics. So the rest of the country has to go elsewhere. And that seems unconscionable to me. It is. And yeah. the history of medicine is littered with closed-minded idiots. Right, but this many? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, wow. It, it, it really, I mean, you start with hand-washing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it's just one ego driven and, and economic driven. You know, I've got yeah. the cure and my lab will get the money or the government grant. And and the cures come from the backwaters. You know, it's going right. to be it's like the Wright brothers in flight. The the what was his name? The, the working with they named a Smithsonian building after him. Oh, um, anyway. So yeah. it. He had the giant. I can't, yeah, I can't think. He, he had the giant war contract and the equivalent of millions and millions of dollars thrown at him. And all those movies that you see of the the old airplanes crashing into the Potomac River is is the all the geniuses that work for this guy. And it took two bicycle mechanics from the middle of Podunk nowhere, you know, with a zero budget to figure out how to fly. And that's because their mind's not cluttered with, you know, what can't be done. You know, so it's going to be, it's going to be Eva Shopee and her little lab and some Romanian grad student, you know, who figures out that, oh, stevia is the answer or whatever. That was just one recent paper, but you know, who knows? It'll come from that direction. I suppose as long as she's able to get that out, you know, I think there are a lot of things stopping her from being able to have her research be taken seriously. I mean, Ernie Markami, who's a doctor in BC, I think works very closely with her on research about CBD. Um, but I, I hear you. I understand what you're saying, that it might be somebody 
in the middle of nowhere who kind of figures this out and and more importantly has the courage to push through yes because that's what it takes i mean dr murakami was bullied and harassed at a practice and he no longer practices medicine he's in his i think he's in his 70s but he um was was harangued by the college because they're treating Lyme beyond the 28 day protocol. Yeah. And I can, I can name a few other doctors. I know that's true in the U.S. as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's true. It's true here too. So that is why you can't find Lyme literate medical doctors in Canada because the college doesn't allow them to practice or to treat beyond the 28 day IDSA protocol. So right. it's a mess. It is a mess. It is. And, um, it is. and people don't, you know, people here, they have to find financial resources to go across the border and find a doctor that will treat them. And it's not exactly, you know, easy for most people to do. And in the U.S., I know it's not much better, but at least you have, you know, a, a network of doctors that are available and who get this. We're probably 20 years behind, which is just, to me, crazy. But So there's just, there's so many, there's so many um, areas here that just feel um, like the, like the dark ages. And and I feel it like is. It, yeah. it is. It's yeah. the dark ages. And and that doesn't seem okay. Considering all the resources we do have and should have, this does not seem okay. So, you know, we've gone way outside of the conventional medical box to try to figure out um protocols, one of which I just mentioned is low level laser. And there's a doctor here in Toronto who's an expert. Um, he's a medical doctor, licensed medical doctor, and he's got a clinic in low-level laser. And my understanding, and I hope, my hope anyway, is that it's going to help heal his immune system and all of the damage that Lyme has done from a much deeper cellular level. But you're not going to find this in any doctor's office or any typical doctor's office. They're going to they're going to give you a 28. Well, they're not going to give you much at all. And if they do believe you have Lyme, which they're not going to believe because you're going to be your test is going to come back negative in Canada for sure. Um, you know, they might give you a couple of weeks of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And then, and then after that, maybe if you're lucky enough to have that treatment, they're going to tell you that you have post Lyme disease syndrome. And oh well. And you know, good luck, right? You. Yeah, we treated It's a euphemism for it. Well, we treated you. We don't know what's wrong with you. We don't understand because right. we treated you. So this is either all in your head and you've got to go see a psychiatrist or. Go home and suffer because there's nothing we can do, and that and and so it stops there. Yeah, that's 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 the experience of most people that I speak to. So what? Let me wrap up the interview this way. What sure. gives you hope that this will change? That that what will change the book that I've written or the, no, uh, no, what are you asking? That. That there is an answer out there that this can be overcome, oh. that Lyme can be figured out. Well, you know, I wish that it were simple, but I know it's not. I think it really takes a toppling of the medical community that has created this toxic mess and that has been firmly entrenched in this protocol or no, this 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 paradigm that says that Lyme is difficult to catch, and when you do catch it, it's really easy to diagnose and treat. We need to find a way to topple the um, the medical community that's created that paradigm and 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 make the truth known. And the truth, of course, is the opposite: is that it's very easy to catch, very difficult to diagnose, and very very difficult to treat. So we need to really do a complete 180. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but I think it's one, you know, one Lyme conference, one doctor, one book, one march, one radio show at a time. 
And I think there's got to be a critical mass at some point, which helps the, the public to be aware of this, because even the media, as I think you probably know, are, you know, not necessarily very informed. I mean, when they talk about Lyme, they talk about it, you know, as a simple tick bite. But that's just not true. And and most of what you hear in, in popular media or the popular press is just sort of skimming the surface. Right. Um, so, you know, I, again, I don't think it's going to be any one broad sweeping action. I think it's going to be a million different actions all coming together to create a critical mass that's going to one day say, this is not okay. And I don't think it's going to happen overnight. And I do think it's going to take a long time for any change to be, to be seen, which does not, which does not sound very hopeful. So I think what we all have to do is, you know, do the best we can to do our own research, despite what your doctor says, Google and Google and Google. I think Lyme lives on Facebook more than it lives anywhere else. In fact, I posted something on my Facebook page a while back that said, where I said something like, you know, Lyme gets treated more humanely on Facebook than in most doctor's offices. I ended up with a, I ended up with a reach of 60,000 people wow. because, it, because it resonated. It just resonated because it's true. Lyme lives and breathes on Facebook. That's where everybody with Lyme is. And if they're not there, they're very alone because they're not going to find support with their doctor for the most part. So I think that, you know, there is definitely a critical mass building. There's no question. You know, I just read an article, a few articles actually, by this fantastic um, senior, former senior advisor to the UN who writes about Lyme. And, you know, she said, we just, we need a whistleblower. And I know they're out there and I've, I've met and I've spoken to several of them, but even they haven't had the power to be able to do this. But I know of a whistleblower and I talk about her in my book who definitely has tried and she really gets this disease like nobody gets it. And she also gets the political um, underpinnings of this disease, like nobody gets it, but even she hasn't had the power to topple the the medical community that has created this mess. So, you know, I don't know if it's going to be one person or a million people coming together, but something's got to change. There's also John Codwell in the UK, who I don't know if you've read about him. But of he's course. Been, yep. Of course you have. So, so you know, maybe, maybe he'll make a difference because he has the financial power. Right. I don't know. I hope. There's hope, but that's all we can do. And then all we can do is one at a time, just keep talking about it. I think that's the only thing we can do right now. I think that's hopeful. So tell me about your book. Let's wrap up by when is it coming out? How can people so, learn out? Is Do you have a mailing list? Tell me your so, yeah, websites. So I'm, start, I'm starting to gather a mailing list on my website, which is linemadness.ca. And my hope is to, depending on whether, what other steps I have to take along the way, because this process of publishing the book is much more arduous than I understood. I think I, I jumped into it quite naively. Um, but I'm hoping to have it on Amazon by the summer, let's say August at the latest. And um, I'm not sure where else it will be. I haven't really looked at distribution quite yet, but it's going to be on Amazon by the summer. And yes, I have a website and I have a Facebook page that's called Lime Madness and I I post a lot of things, so anybody who's interested can take a look at my page and go to my site, and they can leave their email address, and I'm very happy to get people or to let them know when the book is going to be out. I'm also looking to potentially collect more stories because in my book I have at least, you know, I don't know, two dozen stories throughout the book of people who are suffering. And, of course, you know, there's a limit to how many I can share, but I'm happy to keep going on my website and share them there because I think that that's also how we 
create change and get traction is by people telling their stories. I think stories are powerful. So the more we can tell our stories, the more people who will listen, the more people who will really read these, I think, you know, the, the better chance we have of somebody listening to this. Just don't know who that somebody is right now. You know, there was someone who posted a video yesterday about on her suffering. And, you know, it was pretty graphic because you're watching her screaming and writhing in pain, which is not the first time I've seen this online. Mm-hmm. And she said very clearly, you know, if I could just get a few doctors to come to my house and watch this, how could they possibly deny my illness? How could they deny my suffering? And I think that's there's something to that. I mean, clearly not everybody is a sociopath and not everybody is without a heart. <laughs> so although, you know, sometimes you have to wonder. So, you know, you, what, do you get all these sufferers in one room and gather a bunch of doctors and make them watch these people suffering? Maybe. Because it's very easy to close the door and close your mind and close your heart when you're not actually in it and witnessing it. It's very easy, I think. But... And, you know, when you're busy and you're in a system that's crunched and you're, you know, moving along from patient to patient. And, you know, I think the system is really quite broken in so many ways. But when I listened to her, it was just such a simple plea. You know, just come just come to my house and watch me screaming in pain and tell me that I'm not sick with something. And you don't even have to call it Lyme. You can call it something else, but call it something and help. And I think that's the bottom line is that, you know, we can call it something else. If we don't want to call it chronic Lyme disease, we can call it post-Lyme disease syndrome, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't give doctors license to negate the suffering. Beautifully said. Okay. Can't argue with that. No. And I, I thank you for having, you know, for having me on and interviewing me and talking about this. I've been on a couple of other podcasts and, I'm so open to talking about this anytime, and I'm well aware that my book will be one of many that's out there. And I think, again, we all have to do our part. You're doing yours, I'm doing mine. We all have to just get loud and, you know, turn up the volume and talk about this. And even when people look at you askance with a cocked head and they mm-hmm. think, what? Because mm-hmm. it all just seems so incredulous. I mean, it's like when I hear myself talk, I think, what? But, I, but right. I've lived this now for four years. I know right. it's all true. Yeah. And we've got to be very careful, too, because you start losing credibility. Like, I you know, do talk a little bit about vaccines in my book for reasons I don't want to really discuss right now, but I've been told not to because I'm going to lose all credibility. But, you know, you just you have to go with your gut and you have to talk about things that you know are true, even if it can't be proven. Right. And I'm, and I'm not suggesting that anything that I think is with complete and utter proof, but it's, you know, it's, it's just my experience and that's how I'm coming at this. So, so again, my book is called Lyme Madness. It's rescuing my son down the rabbit hole of chronic Lyme disease. And then at the bottom, it says where millions are suffering and fewer listening. And it's really a book about our journey and helping people to feel understood, validated and mirrored in our experience and the experience of others. Well, I'm so glad you're doing your part because a million snowflakes make a snowstorm. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That was very well said. I agree. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to talk about it. And um, let me know when this is going to be online and I'll let people know. That was a great interview. You can really hear the passion in Lori's voice over what she's been through with this. Yep, there's no force of nature like a mother on a mission. (laughs) And she really is. And the more moms we have out there who are getting active, um, really getting the word out about Lyme disease 
and so that their children will be helped and to help other mothers and their children and to prevent this from happening in the future. It's really probably the fuel that's going to create the change that the, the medical community needs. There really is mm-hmm. no force in nature like a mom on a mission. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. And speaking of missions, if you need more Lime Ninja in your life, make sure you subscribe to us on your iPhone or iPad. That way you won't miss out on great conversations like we had with Lori. All right. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you are listening on your iPhone, search for us on the podcast app. Just find the search icon at the bottom right of your screen, tap it, type in Lime Ninja Radio. You'll see a great big green ninja button that will take you to another screen. If you tap that, once you hit the reviews, look for the write a review link below and make sure to leave us five stars. Yes, indeedy. Five stars. Thanks, Aurora. And (laughs) thank you, ninjas. Right, well, you can leave us four just to make it look like you know we have some criticism out there. But if you have a one star review, send an email and uh, I'll respond to it. I love feedback, especially constructive criticism. So the email is info at limeninja dot com. And by leaving a review on iTunes, you'll help more people find great information about Lyme disease and the resources out there, like Lori and her new book. And last, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know when ghosts sit around a campfire, they tell ninja stories? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.